Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, Content Marketing Manager with ClearanceJobs.com. And today we are going to be chatting about the great spy balloon freakout that we've seen in headlines across a number of online publications. So from January 28th to February 4th, 2023, a Chinese-operated high-altitude balloon was seen across North America, so entered North America through Alaska, went through Western Canada, was shot down on the East Coast. And we've had a number of other sort of strange, unidentified objects in U.S. airspace. And I saw recently that Russia is also operating these spy balloons and they're being shot down over Ukraine with that conflict. So my guest today is one of the members of Team Resilience, Senior VP of Security, Michael McNerney. And he has a really extensive background in threat intelligence and spent a lot of his career with these types of threats in mind. And right now, there isn't a connection between the balloon and cybersecurity, but intelligence experts believe it just demonstrates how, the, how China is ramping up all of these espionage tools and sort of gathering intelligence and potentially could lead to cyber attacks at, aimed at U.S. critical infrastructure. And I know that we've seen that in the past. So Mike and Team Resilience, they continue to lead the industry with their work in policy and government. And they're involved with the Ransomware Task Force, which is a working group of government and private industry leaders brought together by Biden. And so that's really important to bring all of these different backgrounds to the table to try to combat or prevent these threats or at least, you know, be prepared. So Mike, thanks so much for joining me today for the conversation. Thanks, Katie. Happy to be here. Wonderful. So threat intelligence. Let, let's talk a little bit about your background and how you sort of became curious about this topic. Yeah, happy to go into that. So my journey into national security really began after 9-11. I graduated college in, in June 2001 I uh, ended up joining the military in response to the to the 9-11 attacks. I ended up spending uh, four years as an active duty Air Force officer. I eventually left active duty, went back to school. And after school, I went back into government service as a civilian, first spending uh, some time at the State Department, working on issues in the Middle East and Afghanistan, and then eventually finding my way back to the Pentagon, where I worked in the Office of the Secretary of Defense, specifically in the Office of Cyber Policy, and that was really my introduction to cybersecurity as a specific topic. I left the Pentagon in about 2013, moved to Silicon Valley uh, and, and tried my hand at being an entrepreneur. I co-founded a cybersecurity company with two colleagues of mine who were also in the Air Force and who had spent some time at the NSA. Uh, this company was focused on cybersecurity analytics. We eventually sold that to, a, to another bigger cybersecurity company. And I spent a couple of years there as a, as a product manager running their threat intelligence business um, before finally uh, ending up here at Resilience where I am now. And one of the many hats I wear here at Resilience is, is overseeing our own internal threat intelligence capability. And so you've definitely had a hand in all sort of different facets of cyber, you know, with the military and the government and then the private sector. And so I know that when it comes to coming up with creative solutions for some of these ever-growing and evolving threats, it really does take leaders from each industry to come up with those great solutions. So we'll talk a little bit about that later. But until 
some of these objects are recovered and analyzed, we really won't see the full picture into what China is looking for or what their spying capabilities truly are in their intelligence gathering. So let's talk about how the cybersecurity threat developed after spotting that first Chinese spy balloon earlier this year. Sure. Thanks, Katie. And I think you alluded to something here that was really important. I do think it's, it's important for us to give the intelligence community of the United States uh, an opportunity to figure out exactly what's going on here. I know, I know folks are jumping to conclusions um, and I think, uh, you know, the, these folks are professionals. They'll get to the bottom of this and, uh, you know, they need the time to kind, of, to kind of get there to get this right. And so to your point, you know, we don't know exactly what is happening right now. What we do know is that, you know, China is a, is a sophisticated uh, nation. They have all facets of intelligence collection, right? They use human intelligence. They use satellites. They use overhead collection uh, and open source collection. And of course, they also use cybersecurity, which uh, has been one of the you know primary areas of concern uh, here in the United States is the the amount, the volume, and the sophistication of the of the Chinese cyber capability. So that's been a real uh, focus area of the government and of the private sector is is trying to deal with that threat. Obviously, uh, the threat from overhead collection potentially from these balloons adds another dimension to that. But it doesn't it doesn't kind of obviate the cyber threat, which is still very real and very much out there. Well, and which we'll talk about, affects every sort of part of our critical infrastructure here in the United States. And I think here it's really important to know as we talk about what the intelligence community is doing to try to figure all this out, it'll come to a point when they're ready to release to the general public what it all means. And it obviously, we're just not there yet. And so being patient that the the incredible leaders within the IC are, are doing the good work. But, you know, as I, I think every citizen can see, tensions between US China continue to rise. And so thinking about these cyber attacks and what it can do to our critical infrastructure, what kind of potential espionage scenarios in your mind could we expect? Yeah, another great question, Katie. So I think it's actually really important to to make a little bit of a distinction between cyber espionage and you know a cyber attack. And sometimes the lines between the two are, are quite blurred. I understand that. But cyber espionage is happening all the time, right? All the time. You know, every uh, sophisticated nation is attempting to gather intelligence on its its adversaries, its competitors. And that certainly is happening here. And it's happening in the case of the Chinese. They're definitely interested in our intellectual property. They're definitely interested in learning more about our systems and capabilities, all of the above. I would That has been going on for years. I would expect that to continue. One of the main challenges, though, is the same kinds of things, and often the cases, the same kinds of things you need to do uh, to run an effective espionage campaign uh, also allow you to prep the battle space, if you will, for a follow-on cyber attack, right? So, you know, there may not be an, an enormous amount of intelligence value, for example, in penetrating a, a utility, uh, but doing so could lay the groundwork for a future attack should we ever uh, get into a, a hot war with, with a nation like China. So that's kind of where the concern uh, really lies. Sure. And so how has the government, just in all of your experience and all the different entities that you've supported, how has the government prepared for those situations? And what lessons can help the private sector be cyber resilient or at least prepared? This really does need to be a partnership between government and the private sector, and also including academia, including civil society, uh, because cybersecurity is really kind of a whole of nation 
threat, right? Every, every individual company, every individual person is a potential victim or target of a cyber espionage campaign. And in that way, it's a little bit different from some of the other domains that we think of when we think of warfighting domains like space and land and sea and air, because cybersecurity is, is very much uh, private sector owned and operated. A lot of the innovation and development comes from the private sector. And so the government really can't just own this space like they can on the high seas, for example. So it's really, really important for government and private sector to share insights with each other, to be on the same page regarding protection, and to just really trust each other and communicate effectively. I think the government has made tremendous strides in leading this. It is the government's job to lead this effort, even if they can't kind of own it entirely, as I was mentioning. And I do think that, the, that organizations like CISA out of the Department of Homeland Security uh, have done a lot in the last couple of years to bring the private sector in and to really make important strides. The FBI has done great work, the Secret Service, uh, really all across the government. So that has been a really bright light, I think, in, in terms of where we see things going. And then we're seeing a bunch of, of private sector organizations really step up to the bat as well. You know, I think a lot of your listeners will be familiar with the, the various ISACs, the other thing that, uh, Katie, you mentioned that we're very proud to be a part of is, is the ransomware task force, which was generated purely by the private sector, right? Private sector actors said, we need to get together and do more to combat the cyber threat. And, uh, you know, government ended up playing a significant part in that as well. And, and that's a great example of, of a partnership that, that has really been uh, important and effective. So more of that is needed, but uh, there's been some great progress so far. Sure. Well, and I, I know that just in contracts and acquisition that the government has tapped on the private sector for a lot of help in modernizing things and getting things done. And so you talked a little bit about academia. And so with this ransomware task force, could you tell us a little bit more about the ins and outs of that and why it's important to, you talked a little bit about why it's important to have those working groups, but what sort of role do you see academia playing in that? Yeah, great question. So the beginning of the ransomware task force was, was actually started by an organization called the Institute for Security and Technology. And it's a, it's a relatively new, I'd call it a think tank, relatively new think tank. And, you know, just kind of identified, look, this is a big problem. No one really owns the specific solution. Everybody has a part of it. And so let's start the, let's start the conversation. Let's get the relevant players in the room. Let's identify the challenges and let's drive to, to a solution. And academia uh, and other think tanks, I would include that as well, play a really, really important role, right? Because they can do a lot of the convening. They have a lot of the cutting edge uh, research and they have talent. There are all kinds of people that you know, have been in private sector that, that go into places like Stanford or to various think tanks and, and continue to do their research and continue to do their work. So there's some really important things that the academic sector really adds to this fight. And so through this working group, are there specifics that you could share today that you found through assessing some of these cyber vulnerabilities? And I mean, I, I, like I said, we've seen in the past where a cyber attack or, you know, cyber espionage, as you mentioned, it, a one, you know, vulnerability, it, it can affect our entire infrastructure. So anything that you could share on as you, as this working group is assessing those vulnerabilities? Absolutely. I, I really think the, it comes down to resilience, right? There's not really, uh, the most important things that, that companies can do to protect themselves are, are not really a mystery, right? It's, it starts with basic hygiene, right? Basic security hygiene, things like having a strong username, password, having multi-factor authentication, understanding your network, understanding your environment, having visibility into it. 
it really starts with these things that are that are fairly well known. It's really just a trick of of you know put, rolling up your your sleeves and, and getting them done. And from there, it goes into you know collaboration and communication. Right? What do we know about the threats that we see on the horizon? What are their tactics, techniques, and procedures? How can we harden ourselves against against those activities? And then there's also a role for for the government as well to come in and say, okay, you know these are the these are the areas that we can help you, right? We can provide you with these capabilities. Perhaps we can share this level of threat intelligence with you so that you can prepare. And then the final part that, that we feel strongly about at Resilience is the role of insurance in helping a company uh, be resilient to uh, an attack and also bounce back quickly afterwards. And so that's those are kind of at a high level how I think about it. Sure. And I know that the government is also, you know, implementing these cyber standards that companies working within the space really need to maintain. And then it also, you know, goes down to, like you said, username and password, MFA, like as as an individual, you need to be cyber resilient as well and practice good cyber hygiene, which really leads me in well to to my next topic. And we've talked about in the past here at Clarence Jobs, how China is really a patient beast. And They are building a picture, a large picture. And so the balloon with national security concerns, it it has not started there. So looking back at the OPM data breach, TikTok, and all of the different data that is easily collected on a platform like that. So how does the balloon sort of act as the cherry on top in in that cake to adding to national security concerns over China and what puzzle are they building? And let's talk about if cyber vulnerabilities is that missing link. Yeah, I think there's a little bit to unpack there. So yeah, again, going back to the beginning of the conversation, espionage has been going on for quite a while, right? And and you mentioned some some great examples of you know the OPM hack that shows why cybersecurity has been a concern of ours for for years and will continue to be so. Going to the balloon itself. It's, it's unclear, at least publicly, what collection capabilities uh, it had. It could be that, that it had some uh, signals intelligence capab- collection capability that bolster the Chinese intelligence apparatus and their understanding of the United States. We don't know. That's certainly possible. One thing that I would also think about is you know, just the fact that they were able to send an aerial surveillance device to the border and then across the border of the United States is, is unique, right? It is unusual, right? We, we know that they have satellites going overhead all the time. We know they do cyber espionage. This is kind of the first instance, at least that we've publicly been aware of, of something like this crossing into the territory of the United States. And so um, whether or not there's a collection advantage I think there's kind of a statement or psychological change that happens here when you're able to do that. So I think that's probably the most important part of this is that that statement element of this. Sure. Well, and, and more to come. And, you know, we'll, we're certainly staying tuned on and what's going to happen related to this topic of surveillance balloons and obviously cyber attacks. But, you know, Mike, I really appreciate you joining me for the conversation today. Are there any closing thoughts that you want to share with our audience in terms of cyber vulnerabilities or just, you know, maintaining good cyber hygiene? So, you know, first of all, I can't encourage people enough to continue to pursue careers in cybersecurity, both inside and outside of government. It is a growing field. There are uh, all kinds of jobs at all kinds of great companies and government agencies that that need talented people that are, that are willing to accept that mission. And cybersecurity itself is going to be 
uh, a continued challenge. I think it's a I think it's a fun challenge. I think it's an exciting challenge, but it's going to be one that we're going to need sharp people to meet. And then, you know, let's not forget, as I said a few moments ago, that every person, every organization, every company is a potential target of a threat intelligence or cybersecurity actor. And so we all need to be vigilant. We all need to take our cybersecurity hygiene, as we call it seriously. Like we said, strong passwords is just the beginning, uh, but it really goes on from there to just understanding your environment, being smart, uh, understanding how not to click on phishing emails, all that kind of stuff. It may seem pedestrian, it may seem silly, but it is really effective um, and really important for us to take seriously. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for joining me for the Security Clearance Careers podcast today. For more information on cyber careers, intelligence news, and other topics, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, known as CISA, the nation's number one cyber defense agency. Today, the agency has grown and evolved, assuring the nation's critical and physical infrastructure is secure, resilient, and reliable. Learn more about CISA career opportunities at www.cisa.gov careers.